Pastor Sam, what a joy and what a delight it is to be here. And like our group, uh, the last time I was here when I served as your interim, we were in the old building, and we were all a lot younger in those days and uh, had a lot less gray hair. And I want to tell you just a little quick uh, story about the Bible that I'm preaching from today. Uh, the year was 2012. And uh, Pastor Sam, uh, I graduated with my terminal degree in 2012, and we had graduation Sunday here at Pleasant Ridge, and I'll show you a very serious picture of some graduates. Uh, there we are, uh, Jesse graduated with her first college degree, and yours truly in the center, and Brittany graduated from high school. Now I'll show you a goofy picture of us three. Uh, we were all very proud. <laughs> And uh, I don't know, Jesse and uh, Brittany, I don't, I don't know what, the, I don't remember what the church gave you, but the church gave me, Pastor Sam, this Bible. And this has been my preaching Bible since 2012. I preach over 500 sermons from this Bible. You gave it to me, and I am so grateful, and uh, I cherish it to this day. If you have a Bible, I will invite you, whether it's electronically or on the old-fashioned pages, to turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to bring a message entitled, In Times Like These. And I recognize and I realize, because I'm a very perceptive man, that I am the only thing standing between you and lunch. <laughs> I get it. I'm hungry too. Uh, the good news is the food's here, right, Pastor? <laughs> we don't have to go stand in line, put our name in, and sit out there and make chit-chat while we're thinking, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. So uh, I do want to preach from Hebrews chapter 12 this morning in times like these. Hebrews chapter 12 is a continuation, really, of Hebrews chapter 11. That's why it begins with the word, therefore. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. I would ask you to bow with me in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for Pastor Sam and his nearly decade of leadership here at this wonderful place that still feels like home. Thank you, Father, that there are men and women who still serve the church through their gifts of singing and evangelism. Thank you, Father, for a body that can come together on a homecoming Sunday, 
looking backwards at all that you've done and all that you've blessed him with, while at the same time looking forward to what lies before us. We realize, Lord, that we live in crazy times, times when many are turning away from the faith and deconstructing their faith. And in times like these, Lord, we need a Barnabas in our life. We need some encouragement. We pray, Father, we would find that encouragement from your word today. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love music and especially good music like we heard this morning and good music like the choir sang. Uh, I confess to you, I have zero, which you already know, zero musical abilities whatsoever. I can play the radio and that's about it. Can't sing a tune, can't sing a note, but I do, but I can't, but I do, if you know what I mean. Uh, but I love music, and I, I love music of all genres, but especially music that, that uplifts the Savior. And there's a song by Ruth K. Jones entitled, In Times Like These. And Pastor, I will admit, I blatantly ripped off the title of my sermon from her song. In times like these, you need a Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Brother, you could sing that. I can't. But that's exactly where we are in culture today. We are in need, more so than ever before, of an anchor that holds and grips the solid rock because in times like these, the world has gone mad. We're coming out of a couple of two or three years like none of us have ever seen. With the world being shut down and the virus being politicized and all the craziness that went on and all that we're still facing in culture and in politics we are witnessing like never before a great falling away from the faith. And, and all of these things have sort of been tied together. God's Word warns us, though, about discouragement. God's Word warns us about weariness. Many times at funerals we hear 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight preach, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I've used that many times, referring to a person's long life and long labors through discouraging times, how they did not give up. But our culture is not just being more and more worldly and less and less churchy. That's not the only problem. The problem is our culture is becoming hostile to the faith in times like these. We are, we are becoming the enemy. And God's saying, no, don't, don't stop working. Don't stop doing what you're doing for the Lord, even when culture turns against you, because we aren't the first culture that's turned against people of faith. You remember what Ahab said when he saw Elijah? He didn't say, oh, there's the great preacher. What you doing, brother? How's it going in, the, in your world of prophecy and preaching? No, he said, is that you, O troubler of Israel? Elijah 
was blamed for all that was going wrong. Culture turned against people of faith and blamed them for all of their problems. But that wasn't the last time. It happened over and over again. 1,900 years before I was born, in the year A.D. 64, there was a great fire in Rome. You know that, about 20 acres of the heart of Rome burned. You know the old saying, Rome burned and Nero fiddled. Guess who was blamed for that fire? Christians. Christians didn't set that fire, but we were blamed for it. It was that fire and the subsequent blaming of that fire on believers and culture turning against people of faith that led to, as history tells us, Simon Peter's crucifixion. And legend says he was crucified upside down. It also led to, because he was a Roman citizen, he was not able to be crucified, but he was beheaded, the beheading of the Apostle Paul. Culture blamed Christians for their problems. Is that great second century theologian, the father of Latin Christianity, Tertullian, that said every time there is a natural disaster, every time there is a flood or an earthquake or a fire, it is away with the Christians. Culture had turned and, and blamed all of their problems on men and women of faith. And that's where our culture is headed. It's not just that our world is less churchy. Brothers and sisters, it is that in times like these, we've become the enemy to culture. And I didn't come here today to lament. I didn't come here today to tell you how bad we have it. We've not yet resisted the blood, I will remind you. I'm here today to encourage you in times like these that the Lord Jesus Christ has not left us and let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, let us take care to see what God's word has for us to protect us from becoming a casualty of culture and a prey to the roaring lion who would devour us. God is teaching us that in times like these, you and I must exhibit endurance. In times like these, you and I must exhibit endurance. Endurance. That word is all throughout these first four verses. The therefore in verse 1 ties chapter number 12, which there were no chapters and verses when this was originally written, you know that, but it ties it to what has gone on before in chapter number 11. He's saying the saints of old did amazing things because they endured through tough seasons. Even when culture turned against them, they still endured. They weren't just sprinters who started out right, but when things got hard, they quit. That wasn't the case with those in chapter 11. We've all seen people that started out well. Uh, Pastor Sam, uh, you and I are distinguished men of gray hair now. And um, I'm sure you remember, as I do, when we started out preaching, I, I was called to preach in 1985, and I was uh, I was newly wed at the time, and I was tw 21 years of age. Now you're all doing the math. I see, 21, 25. And, and there were several young men in our church, 
some married, some, some teenagers that were called to preach. There were several men in the community, brothers, that were, were called to preach. And, and they started out much better than I did. <laughs> they started out just fiery preaching the word of God and, and going around and preaching youth revivals. And there were a whole, a whole string of us young preachers. Not many of us left. Many of them started out well. They started out in a sprint, but... They did not endure. Hardships came. Discouragement came. Criticisms came. And and they fell by the wayside. Oh, but that's not the men and women in chapter number 11 that we look back to. They, they, They endured. They stayed strong. I'm thinking of men like Demas when I think of sprinters. Demas has got his name in the Bible three times, more than any of us can say. Twice, very positively, his name is recorded in the Bible. He started out strong. He was like one of those young preachers. And in Colossians 4.14, Paul had two great men by his side. He said, Luke sends his greetings, oh Colossians, and Demas sends his greetings, oh Colossians. Paul had these two great men of God by his side. One endured, one did not. The book of Philemon, Paul sends his greetings to Demas. Tell Demas I said hello. But you know what happened by the time we get to the end of Paul's life. The Bible said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He was a sprinter, but he did not endure. He fell by the wayside. But God is teaching us that in times like these, we must exhibit endurance. And if we're going to do that, the therefore tells us that we must focus on our examples. Look at the bad examples, Demas, but more importantly, look at the good examples of men and women who have endured through such hostility. We are focusing on these examples in verse number one. We are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. I don't interpret this, and I've, I've read many commentaries, and most would agree with this, and, and perhaps some don't, but I think most agree. He's not saying that, that Mamaw is in heaven looking down, watching us. I don't think that's the case at all, because there's no tears in heaven, and, and we go through hardships and pain, and we struggle, and we hurt, and we're disappointed, and, and I don't think Mamaw is in heaven watching all of that. I think the, the witnesses here, he's simply saying, Look at their lives. They witness. They are a witness that it can be done. They are proof that you can go through this, this horribly uh, anti-godly, ungodly culture, and you can go through unscathed with your faith intact, in love with Jesus, victoriously. They are proof of that fact. I think that's what he means by these witnesses. He names Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and the prophets and on and on. He's saying, look to them. They did it. You can do it. He goes on to tell us, others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. This is in chapter 11. 
These are these examples that didn't fall by the wayside. They were, they were tortured. They placed their hope in a better life and after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. And their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, the writer of Hebrews says. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. What an example. What a witness. Men and women who retained their integrity, who retained their faith. Men and women who did not have their hope and their faith stolen from them by a culture that so obviously was against them. Well, what about us? Well, we are reminded, while the culture may be against us, and while we may get kicked off Twitter if we say, a man can't get pregnant. That'll get you kicked off Twitter, people. But I remind you what they went through, and I remind you, verse 4, you've not yet resisted to bloodshed. We may be facing some mild uh, disapproval, but we can't even compare what our culture is doing to us to what their culture did to them. We're reminded that we've not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed. Like these witnesses, we have not yet shed blood. We have no scars yet for following Christ. One of my favorite poets is a lady by the name of Amy Carmichael. She has a beautiful poem in her collection called, Hast Thou No Scar? I've often thought about this poem. Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Leaned me against a tree to die and rent. By raving beast thou compassed me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar. Yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far? Who has nor wound nor scar. We are to exhibit endurance in times like these. We must focus on our examples. We've not yet received the scars that others have received for following the Lord Jesus Christ. But the day may come, and I say to you that we must endure. We do so. We exhibit endurance by looking at our the witnesses that have 
been so faithful before us. But there is a much greater example, and that greater example is found in verses 2 and 3. As great as it is to read about all the men and women in chapter number 11, in verses 2 and 3, he turns our attention from the witnesses to Jesus, looking unto Jesus. He's the greatest example. And three times we're told about Jesus' endurance. We can't even fathom what Jesus endured. He was stripped, he was beaten, he was spit upon, he was slapped, he was lied about, he was betrayed and abandoned and tortured and cruelly executed in front of his own mother, yet he endured. A group of you just returned from Israel, and Pastor Sam, I know you've been many times. And how real this becomes, not just at the tomb and not just at Golgotha, but looking at those steps that lead up to Caiaphas' house. And in my mind, you can almost see from Caiaphas' house, you can almost see Gethsemane. And in my mind, I can see Jesus enduring through Gethsemane as his blood became as great drops of his sweat became as great drops of blood. And I see Jesus Christ being betrayed with a kiss from a man that he had poured his life into for three and a half years. I see Jesus being led by the soldiers from Gethsemane through the Kidron Valley as it leads up those steps to Caiaphas' house. You can see those steps today. And Jesus knew what was before him. And the Bible said that he didn't enjoy the process at all. He endured the cross, despising the shame. Why? For the joy that was set before him. Why did Jesus endure? Because he could look past momentary, horrific persecution to the other side and he could see the fellowship that he was going to provide and make possible through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. He knew that he would have a grand home coming complete with great food with all of his precious saints. Brothers and sisters, in times like these, we must exhibit endurance. Look to the witnesses in chapter number 11. Look to Jesus Christ, the author, the finisher of our faith. We understand that without Jesus, without what he endured, we'd have no salvation. Because our brothers and sisters that sang about grace this morning. It is for by grace that we are saved. Jesus Christ exhibited his grace in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know that Christ did not, sing, did not die for any gospel singers? Christ did not die for any pastors. Christ did not die for any preachers or good saved men and women. He died for sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He made us into these things because of his grace. It would be nothing without him. 
You know what we have to offer Jesus Christ? Our sin, our rebellion for all we like sheep have gone astray. There's none righteous, no, not one. All our works are as filthy rags. We are all sinners and our sin separates us from God. But the good news is Jesus Christ endured the cross. On that cross, all of the wrath, all of the punishment that Marcus Merritt deserved. I earned that wrath. I earned that punishment. And Jesus Christ said, Father, I will take it upon myself. I will pay his price. I will receive his punishment. That's exactly what Christ endured. That's exactly what Christ experienced. Because he was a man, he died. But because he is the eternal son of God, he arose again on the third day. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And the good news is, the word gospel means good news. The good news is that if we will believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and will confess that with our mouth and believe that God has raised him from the dead, we too will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Church, do you believe that? Jesus Christ endured. What, what an example. Because he endured, you and I can be saved. We must exhibit Endurance. Let me quickly say that in times like these, God is also teaching us that we must lay aside the things which hold us back. We must lay aside the things which hold us back. He mentions two things, lay aside weights and besetting sins. Weights aren't necessarily sinful things. They're just things that hold us back. You know, a batter places the, the heavy weight on his bat while he's warming up, but he takes that weight off when he goes to the plate. A boxer puts weights in his gloves to practice, but he takes those weights out when he goes to battle. A runner may strap weights to her ankles, but she takes those weights off when she gets into the, into the race. You and I are to lay aside the weights. Some of the weights that we may be wrestling with in times like these, maybe it's in our past life, things that we've been forgiven for. Satan wants to bring those things up to weight us down. In the Old Testament, imagine people like David and imagine women like Rahab. In the New Testament, imagine women like Mary Magdalene and men like the Apostle Paul. All of that forgiven sin that could be thrown up back in their face, that could weigh them down and keep them from living in victory. But i got to tell you, those four people aren't the only people with a past. I don't expect you to say amen, but the truth of the matter is, we've all got a past. We've all got things that we've been forgiven for, forgiven of. And a weight is when Satan allows those things to come back up and to weigh us down and say, you can't sing in front of that church. You can't teach Sunday school. How dare you stand in the choir? Don't you know what you did way back then? And I got to tell you, God doesn't because he's forgiven you. And he's thrown that into the sea of forgetfulness and his blood has washed you clean, allowing Satan to churn up old sins. That's, that's a weight. Lay it aside. In times like these, we must lay aside the weights. We must lay aside the besetting sins. Unforgiveness, that's a sin when we don't forgive people. Anger and hostility 
lazy in this critical spirit, even allowing ourselves to be overcome with anxiety. And I got to tell you, that's, that's a mind besetting sin right there, one of them anyway. Allowing myself to be overcome with, with anxiety when Jesus is telling me to cast all my cares upon him because he cares for me. Times like these, we must lay aside the things which hold us back, the weights and the sins. But let me close by saying, finally, in times like these, those who have grown discouraged must become encouraged and rejoin the race. I'm asking you to rejoin the race this morning. Verse number 12, I'm going to close with this reading. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which there is no one will see the Lord. Look carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. See, discouragement and weariness are not the only things that hold us back. Jesus is teaching us, much like he did the church of Ephesus, to remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen and repent. He's saying in times like these, listen, you don't have the luxury of being Uh, out of the will of God. He's saying, men and women, it's time to rejoin the race. If you've ever quit, if you've ever backed off, if, if you've even thought about it, here's what he closes this chapter with. Verse number 12, he's telling us to straighten up. Strengthen hands which hang down and feeble knees. I I picture someone that's bent over by the weight of culture being against them. I picture someone that's bent over and weighted down by their own sins and their own failures. I picture someone that's, that's maybe been disappointed in the church. Pastor, I know no one's ever been disappointed in you, but as a pastor for many years, people oftentimes were disappointed in me. And, and, and people get weighted down with all this. He's saying in verse number 12, it's time to straighten up, men and women. In this culture in which we live, we must stand up and straighten up and face our enemy head on with the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship, prayer, personal devotion, sharing our faith, all of these things are important in times like these. We must straighten up. He's telling us in verse number 13 that we must step up, make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but rather healed. We must, we must find healing for those things that have torn us apart and torn us down. We must follow peace and find holiness. It's no time to back off. It's no time to be slumped over. It's no time to be lame in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. In times like these, we must straighten up. We must step up. And in verse number 15, we must look up, looking carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God. I had a very dear friend that was on my staff for many years when I worked for the mission board. He's now with Jesus. And 
this gentleman had a way of, he was sort of like my Barnabas. And he would always tell me, Brother Marcus, glance at your problems, but gaze on Jesus. And oftentimes, I would be feeble and I would be hanging down and I would be defeated because I was gazing at my problems and only glancing at Jesus. The Bible is teaching us it's just the opposite. It's just the other way around. Glance at the world. Glance at the culture. Glance at the persecution and all that's against us. But ladies and gentlemen, we are to gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ, for in Him lies our victory. In Him lies our abundant life. You would look diligently at the Savior. There'll be no root of bitterness springing up in you. All of us have things in life that could, could make us bitter. We've all faced disappointments in life that could make us bitter. The Bible is teaching us that's the way of fainting. That's the way of losing heart. That's the way of falling by the wayside. Stop looking around. Start looking up. Exhibit endurance. Lay aside the weights and the sins and rejoin the race. We need you. We need you. I think post-COVID, and I have no comments about people whose health is bad. I'm not criticizing anyone who, whose health is bad. By the way, my wife sends her greetings. She's working at Higgins Hospital today. She works the first Sunday every month at the hospital. Much of her life is checking in COVID patients, so I get that. Not being critical of people that can't come because of their health. But I'm saying in times like these, when we're coming out of COVID, when we're coming out of the old culture into a new culture that's so hostile against God, and for many of us, because of the, the virus, we've lost some of that, that fellowship, some of that not forsaking yourselves, gathering together. We've, we've had to forsake it a little bit. But now is the time for us to rejoin the race. Now is the time for us to look to the Savior. Now is the time for us to exhibit endurance, to focus on these examples that have gone through so much, so much more than we have, laying aside weights and sins. If you have paused if you have quit, if you have become discouraged, if a root of bitterness has sprang up in you, God wants you to rejoin the race today. Pleasant Ridge Baptist Church needs you, and you need them. I want to ask you to stand to your feet and bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. Pastor Sam is going to come, and your pastor is going to receive you this morning as they come with a song. I'm going to close this in a word of prayer.